conversation with Hall of Fame baseball writer and 1973 Syracuse University grad, Jason Stark. Everything about my life and career is because I went to Syracuse. Um, and that's, that's just true. That's true from Rooster Hall to Cooperstown to the athletic to everything I do. And he does and has done over the course of his career an awful lot. Hi, I'm Chris Velarde, Director of Digital Engagement and Communications in the Office of Alumni Engagement and a 1995 Syracuse grad. I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Jason Stark, senior baseball writer at The Athletic and studio analyst with the MLB Network. We're going to cover a lot of ground. We'll talk about Jason's time at SU and his experience at the Daily Orange still means so much to him. His Hall of Fame career as a baseball writer, broadcaster, and podcaster, his take on social media, and, of course, we'll spend some time on this most unusual 2020 Major League Baseball season. We know now they're going to make it to the starting line. We don't know yet if they're going to make it to the finish line, but we are seeing some evidence that these protocols are working so far. It's really encouraging. Maybe there's a message in there for all of us. If, if this is how sports is doing it, maybe it's a, it's a path to how we all can do it. We'll get to that a little later on in the conversation, but we'll start at the beginning of Jason's Syracuse journey. What drew you to leave Philadelphia for Central New York? <laughs> well, you know, I tell the story all the time. Like I'm, I'm one of those lucky people in the world who, somehow or other, I got to do exactly what I always dreamed of doing from the time I was old enough to dream about doing anything from like ten years old. Right? Wanted to be a sports writer. Wanted to ideally be a baseball writer. And you know, I knew that if you wanted to be in sports media. Syracuse was the place to go. Uh, we had a friend of the family. He went to Newhouse, and he just filled my ear up one day with what a cool place it was, and I was hooked. And so glad it worked out that way. It's and it's true today, as as true today as it as it's ever been. I, I'm sure that when you came to Syracuse, as many students do, you know, it's kind of like, all right, where do I start? Where how do I jump in? <laughs> yeah, and that was true for me. Um, you know, moved in whatever day of the week that was. And the very next day, I found the Daily Orange office, walked in and said, I want to be a sports writer. What can I do for you? <laughs> right? And so they actually assigned me to write a gigantic piece on the history of Syracuse football just because I walked in off the street. So it's, it's been uh, one crazy journey from there. As you think about your time at Syracuse, what, what are some of the experiences that are always going to have that special place in your heart? Well, uh, just first off, big picture. Um, everything that I've done in my career, I can trace back to Syracuse. It was the perfect place for somebody like me, the perfect place for so many people who've gone on to do stuff like me. Um, and, you know, I, what, I, I had a great time there on every level, but the, the Daily Orange part of it is the part that jumps out that I'll never forget. Just learning how to do everything, to cover everything, to write about everything. I wound up as the news editor. You know, it was a weird, weird portion of the journey for somebody who wanted to be a sports writer, but uh, they needed somebody to 
figure out how they were going to get the paper out every day. And I must have walked in and sat there at the wrong time or the whatever. And they talked me into it. So I spent two years as as an editor in news, just trying to dream up every story, uh, writing a bunch of those stories myself, finding people to do those stories. Uh, going to the printing plant and making sure that the paper came out looking the way it was supposed to and crazy stuff didn't happen and trying to make it back some night in the middle of a blizzard. Imagine that it was Syracuse. (laughs) (laughs) So all the different adventures that came with it, just, uh, and, and the, you know, the relationships that were formed from doing that people that, um, still in touch with still really close with today. I just, Syracuse has been a huge part of my life, that Daily Orange experience, a gigantic part of the formative portion of my career. And we're a big Syracuse family. My daughter, Hallie, went there too. So um, Syracuse is just intertwined with everything that goes on in the Stark household. That hands-on experience that, you know, that you talk about at the Daily Orange, that it's so many broadcasters talk about at WAER, there, there's folks like me who spent time at WJPZ. There's, there's the people who were at Citrus TV, which is what it is now or whatever it was called when they were there. I mean, that, that kind of hands-on experience where you're peer to peer, you're managing, you're working together. I mean, that is invaluable. Uh, there's nothing like it. Uh, and it really does prepare you to go off into the real world and deal with stuff because look, I had amazing professors and took amazing classes and had just an incredible academic experience, but there's nothing like learning how to make that call, right? Or finding that person who knows that, that thing that you really desperately need to know to make this story happen. And uh, just brainstorming with, with, all these people around you at Syracuse who love it as much as you do, right? And are just caught up in this this passion to, in those days, go work in the newspaper business. And like, it's just, it's just like being part of a team, you know? Look, I'm I'm not the Carmelo Anthony of that Daily (laughs) Orange team, but um, Carmelo and Jerry McNamara and Hakeem Warwick and all those guys who went through that experience, it's unforgettable because of what they went through together, yeah. you know, and that's what the da- the Daily Orange team was for us. We went through it together. We did some incredible stuff together and we'll never forget a moment of it. Yeah, there's there, and there's no replacing it. I mean, it, it, and there's there's no way to kind of duplicate that type of experience. I'm sure throughout your career, I mean, you work in teams. You know, you work with people that that you feel that connection with. But there's something special about kind of that that sense that everyone is is out there trying to impress whoever they can impress, trying to make a difference, trying to to get the leg up. It brings out the best in you. There's no doubt about that. That's one of the things about yeah. going to Syracuse, going to to the Daily Orange, to WAER. You're surrounded by people who have that same kind of drive. Yeah, exactly right. Now, you know, I, might, uh, I lived in Brewster, uh, and the, the like, not the entire floor, but I, half the kids on my dorm floor wanted to grow up and do 
what I did, and most of them did. <laughs> you know, and they're still they're still lifelong friends. It's it's cool, and you know we we had that experience at Syracuse together, and it's just been amazing to watch all of our journeys. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget my first experience as a as a freshman at Newhouse. We all went into the big TV studio, and you know whoever was kind of leading that that session said. How many of you are here because you want to be the next Bob Costas? <laughs> and I looked around the room, and it was pretty much all but four people who raised their hands at that point. Right. And I'm sure they want right? to be, right? <laughs> <laughs> who did they want to be exactly? But but now you you know you can you can replace that name with Mike Tirico. You can replace that name with Ian Eagle. It, I mean, it's just it, it's it's incredible the the legacy that just continues, and and that's going to make you proud to to know that you know. You're part of that legacy, and sure, throughout your career, you have run into others who have gone through Syracuse at, at different times. Oh, of course, uh, you know it's a place you brag about, and uh, you know I can remember who has people Syracuse people brag. We do <laughs> right. <laughs> this just in, Chris. Uh, news. I, I, this I, is like, this podcast is going to be breaking news because of that. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. Uh, here, let's. Here's a moment in time. Uh, you know, I won the Spink Award in 2019. I was honored at the Baseball Hall of Fame. It was kind of a big moment. Right? I, I'm not, not even, even going to say that this is a humble brag. I mean, this is a big deal. You're a Hall yeah, of well, Famer. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's awesome. just wild to have people refer to me as a Hall of Famer, you know? Um, but anyway, I, I, this, I, got, I, I learned that I had won this award uh, in December. The ceremony is actually in July. And so... Later that day, I get a phone call, get a call on my cell, and it's from Bob Costas. <laughs> and he, you know, he, he had gone in the year before and was like, he was disappointed that we didn't get to go in together. And so I said to him, maybe we could convince him to move the whole ceremony to the dome, you know? <laughs> and, and he said, I'm in. And that, that's, that's two Syracuse guys talking about Cooperstown. How great would that be? Yeah, two two Syracuse Hall of Famers. That's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So let's let's talk about your career path because you wanted to be a sports writer, you wanted to be a, a baseball writer, and and you got to do it at your hometown paper. I did. I mean, I took a little bit of an indirect road because, as I said, I I worked in news at the Daily Orange. I did write some sports, but you know, I had I had this feeling that maybe I should do something more serious. <laughs> and cover sports, and that lasted a year. I worked to work at uh, Providence Journal, covered suburban news at the Providence Journal, and a year in, I knew this wasn't it, <laughs> you know, and uh, wound up transitioning into sports at the Providence Journal. Um, got a little taste of covering baseball and everything else there, and knew that covering baseball is what I wanted to do, and so I started looking around for a job, and I I didn't know where I was going to be. I didn't set out to work in Philadelphia, but uh, at the playoffs, I ran into a guy named Larry Eichel. Larry Eichel had two claims to fame. He covered the Phillies at the Inquirer the year before I did, and he married one of my closest friends from Syracuse, Bobby Beck. <laughs> okay. And he said to me, I'm not going to do this again after this year. Uh, if you're interested, I'll be happy to drop your name. And that set the whole thing in motion. Uh, I mean, it took a while, but I, I'll never forget coming to Philadelphia to do the interview, 
and it went so well and going to going to my mom and dad's house and saying i think i'm going to wind up covering the phillies at the philadelphia inquirer like how did this happen wow wow now i gotta ask you because you know you grew up watching the phillies right i assume rooting for the phillies i did what was that like now all of a sudden having to cover them having to be kind of in that that interesting position where yeah you're writing for phillies fans for the most part but but now you, you know you kind of can't just be a fan anymore and, and you're you know you were trained you, you knew how to be a sports writer but was it a little weird uh it didn't take long <laughs> you know yeah. it, i had that good syracuse education there you knew go. what it meant to be a professional and you know one of the things that you learn really quickly when you cover a professional sports team is like you may be around those players and those people all the time, every day, for months and months and months at a time, <laughs> but they're not your audience, right? Your audience is not those those guys you have to deal with every day. Those Your audience is the people that read you, and you have a responsibility to them. Uh, you know, I, I covered some real good Phillies teams. I covered some real bad Phillies teams, um, but even the good teams had, had a lot of twists and turns in their path. And when things go badly, uh, you, it's not the job of people like me to try to paint a rosy picture that isn't, doesn't match reality because people see through it. And now, especially in a, in a town like Philadelphia, this was a, it's always been a tough sports writer's town. And, and so I'd learned my lessons from growing up reading the great sports writers of Philadelphia. I'd learned my lesson from being at Syracuse. Uh, I learned really quickly being around great sports writers covering that team, how it's supposed to be done. And so I had, <laughs> I mean, I'm one of those people, I get along with everybody, but when I had some issues, man, like it was, you know, it's just, I, I, you know, I covered teams that won the World Series and it was no fairy tale. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Uh, you know, my, my, I'm a fan of the 86 Mets and, and I've, I've heard the stories there. You know, you never know that there, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that um, that sometimes we don't know about. Yes. And sometimes there's a good reason we don't don't know about it in your time covering. Um, let, let's focus on the Philly specifically. But do you, do you have a favorite favorite guy you covered over the years? Wow. I, I, I mean, I covered some really fun, smart people. I was always one of those, those guys. I. And I'm still that guy. Uh, who's the funniest guy in this locker room? Because I'm going to go talk to him. And so, you know, I I covered some hilarious people. Larry Anderson was a hilarious human being, right? Uh, Tug McGraw was super fun to cover. Uh, my current podcast co-host, Doug Glanville, one of the most brilliant but hilarious people I've ever been around. The only player I ever talked to who used the phrase time space continuum <laughs> to describe a week full of rain delays. Uh, Don Carmen is a guy who's uh, featured uh, now in the, uh, the new wax pack book. I, yeah. Right. The guy who uh, decided he was going to find everybody in a pack of baseball cards from his youth. And Don Carmen was just h- hilarious. Uh, the guy who come up, came up with his list of, I think it was 60, favorite baseball cliches and we'd walk in the clubhouse he'd have he'd have the ones checked off that applied he'd hand them out to us and there's, there's a long list john crook tremendous yeah. uh, i don't know but 
No, no that's short- a lot more than one. Right. No, no shortage of personalities in the, right. in the game of baseball, right? Jimmy Rollins, even later on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so your career path, obviously, sports writer, that's where you're, you were focused. But, uh, you know, these days, you can't just be a writer. You got to be on TV. You got to be on the radio. You got to have a podcast. How, yeah. as that, and, and you kind of have come, come up through this. I mean, you spent time at ESPN, obviously, now The Athletic. How, how did you adjust to, to those kind of new demands? I tell kids this all the time. That, look, I, I grew up, I wanted to be a writer. You know, I, I was, I, you can't just type now. <laughs> you, know, you just can't pat on that keyboard. There's just so much else to do. And the reason is people don't get their news just one specific way anymore. They get it a million different ways. So you have to tell the stories every possible way that you can tell them. And so the way the world works now, I write columns, I write blogs, I write really big pieces, I podcast, uh, I do TV for MLB Network, uh, I do radio all over the country. You tweet? Don't forget that 240 <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, it's all part of telling the stories and connecting with people. Um, it's not easy, you know, I'd like... It, it might seem like the media is one thing, one <laughs> job. It's actually every, every different platform challenges a different part of your brain. But to me, that's the fun part. That's an invigorating part. And look, there, there are people who I started out with, they just wanted to write. They didn't want to do the other stuff, Chris. And, you know, I, it, it reminds me a lot of what you see now in baseball where coaches, scouts, uh, people in the game, they, they, don't, they don't care about analytics. They don't want to learn about analytics. They just want to do what they've always done. And I had a conversation with Joe Madden about this uh, a year or so ago, and he said, I, you know, I tell the guys I came up with this all the time. You can be that way, but if you want to be that way, you're going to render yourself unemployable. So you don't have to buy into every bit of the analytics, but you have to understand them. You have to roll with them, and you have to you have to go where the game is going. Well, that's our game. That's the media game. Uh, we tell the stories now, a hundred different ways. So learn to tell those stories. Yeah, you know what? And I think that applies to so many businesses, right? I mean, you've got to adapt and 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 be able to go where. I mean, you, you said the word before, audience. Where your audience is, where your readers are, where your viewers are, where your listeners are, where your you know your social media patrons are. Yeah. That, uh, you know, social media is a really uh, f- fascinating and uh, high maintenance part of being in the media now. Um, my daughter, Hallie, who went to Syracuse, is now a social media um, marketing person at Major League Baseball, right? So I have good, I, I have real good social media coach. Um, and there are a lot of ways to look at social media. I know there are a lot of people that hate it. Um, I'm not one of those people. I, you know, I, I always felt like this when I like hosted radio shows, um, feel that way now hosting podcasts is that your audience rises or falls to the level at which you conduct yourself on the show. Social media is mostly the same way. 
Well, there are times <laughs> you hear from knuckleheads, right? You just do. Not everybody agrees with everything. My daughters, uh, when they were a little younger, Googled me one time and started reading some of the stuff and said, Dad, why would anybody say that about you? And the answer is, look, uh, when you do what we do, you, there, there's, look, you, you, you want people to like it. You want people to agree with you. It doesn't work that way. And the people that don't agree with you let you know, okay? And as long as people want to be civil about that, I'm happy to engage in the debate. Uh, I, like, I have almost no trolls among my Twitter followers. I'm really proud of that. But every once in a while, like, somebody will throw something out there and think, you know, thinking, well, nobody's going to really read this anyway. And if it's just the right tweet, and it, it feeds into some point I'd like to make, I'll very gently and respectfully tweet back. And it's incredible how fast those people uh, back off because yeah. they're so amazed that somebody actually cares what they think or <laughs> reads what they think. And so social media is, to me, what you make of it. It's an awesome thing that we have this tool that allows us to interact with our audience anytime we want to. And you can use that. I use it all the time. I, you know, I look, I, I love the weird and the quirky side of baseball, right? I'm always looking for what in the heck is the last time that happened? Right. Well, I've, I've had times where I don't know how to find this. Just throw it out to the Twitterverse and say, hey, does anybody know how we can research this? And it's incredible, the knowledge up out there, the passion out there, and just how excited people are to help you with stuff. Yeah. We now, like on, uh, Doug Lamble and I on our podcast, we have a weekly listener trivia question. We've started putting the listener on the show, live on the show. Ask us the question. We'll get it wrong. We'll have fun. We'll have fun. <laughs> and we just, like, we find these people via Twitter. I've made friends through Twitter. I've connected with players through Twitter. It, it's a great tool if you use it right. That's the moral of the story. That's the key, man. That is the key. All right, let's talk about this crazy baseball season. 2020. We're playing baseball, at least we're trying. Um, are you surprised that we've gotten to a point where we're, where we're, where we're going to do this? Uh, I am. There was a long time during this pandemic and this, this big intermission after the world stopped where I thought we'll never get there. Uh, first off, we had to deal with months and months and months of baseball labor talks that went nowhere. That was painful. It was embarrassing. Uh, and it was leading nowhere. And I thought really would turn off millions of people. But now that the, there, it looks like we're actually going to play, right? They're, like we know now they're going to make it to the starting line. We don't know yet if they're going to make it to the finish line. But we are seeing some evidence that these protocols are working so far really encouraging maybe there's a message in there for all of us if, if this is how sports is doing it maybe it's a it's a path to how we all can do it I, that is you know that's certainly one way to look at it um and it's you know we, we heard in this absence of sports about it, it's funny I, I heard two things one about how important sports is to to our psyches to our you know distractions our enjoyment and then on the flip side, people are like, well, sports doesn't matter because life goes on without it. And it's kind of an odd, it's been an odd thing. I've heard people on both sides of that. Um, yeah. I tend to fall on the, 
you know, how important it is, uh, I find myself kind of just so desperately missing that distraction. Yeah, like, I, you know, I'm a big fan of watching these classic games that happened in 1987. I've enjoyed them, but I'm, I'm ready for something different. And yeah. so, uh, you know, I know that those people are out there who have found other stuff to do. I understand how that happened and why that happened, but I, I must live in this bubble of people who just are so excited <laughs> that there's going to be live sports again. Now, I, I, you know, this always comes with a caveat. I hope it works. Yeah. I hope nobody gets sick. I hope there isn't something that happens in one sport that has a ripple effect on all the sports like happened back in March. Uh, I, you know, there's going to be a serious moment somewhere over the horizon, but the idea that there's going to be the 60 game season of weirdness, sign me up for that. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. It's kind of like some, some crazy video game where, you know, you're playing a short season and, and who knows anything can happen. It, it's so true. Um, you know, 60 games, that, that seems like a lot of games, right? I, I, I know that's the equivalent of almost four NFL seasons, but in baseball, it's not a lot of games. And quirky stuff happens in 60-game chunks of every season. Um, my friend Eno Saris and I at The Athletic uh, a week or so ago did a piece in which we looked at some of this stuff, <laughs> right? Um, last year, the Colorado Rockies spent most of the season – playing like a 108 loss team. But there was one 60 game stretch where they went 37 and 23. Now, if some team does that over these next 60 games, there'll probably be a number one seed in the playoffs, right? Well, think that's the best team in baseball, but the marathon exposed them, showed yep. that they weren't that team. But it's the kind of thing that can happen over 60 games. People, you know, we love to talk about, can somebody hit 400? That's the big uh, one. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it'd be kind of weird if that does happen, but just went back and looked at this, and over the last four years, three times there have been players who hit 400 or better over a 60-game chunk of the season. Jose Altuve did it twice. Joey Votto did it in 2016. It does happen. To do it over 162 games is really challenging. To do it over 60 games Stuff happens. Yeah. Could you have a Jacob DeGrom have an ERA under one, you know? And, oh, yeah. Right? Oh, there's so many 60-game chunks of pitchers who have ERAs under one. Uh, just last year, Jack Flaherty, the Cardinals. Uh, back in 20, was it 2015, Jake Arrieta had the crazy Cy Young year. His ERA over the Cubs' last 60 games, if I remember this right off the top of my head, was 0 0.3. Five, amazing. So, like, we're we're gonna know if somebody hits four hundred. It isn't what Ted Williams did. We're gonna know if somebody has an ERA of one. It's not what Bob Gibson did. But well, fine, it can. And that's what I was gonna ask you. Are, are, how are we gonna look at this? You know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, is there is there gonna be kind of a what a what a farce of a season, or is it gonna be kind of a hey, that was kind of a crazy fun summer. Right. I, and I say that I say that understanding that it's hard to say the word fun when you're in the midst of a pandemic. I right. get that. I, I will throw that caveat out there. Sure. Well, a lot of fun elements to this season. And, you know, let, let's focus on them for now, at least. Um, people are always asking me if the team that wins the World Series should get an asterisk next to their trophy or whatever. And I'm just not a fan of asterisks. I am a fan of context yeah. and anybody who lived through the year 2020 
is going to know what it was. You're going to know that everything was different in 2020, not just sports, right? Every one of our lives was yeah. so different. And um, the team that wins, it, it, they're going to take a very different journey to get there. But when you think about what these teams have to deal with, um, nothing that they've done till now has really prepared them for this. Uh, lifelong habits and lifelong routines are no longer even legal. They're not even allowed. Everything about their day at, at the ballpark is different. It's challenging. It's hard. Um, and so that team that does win, they're not going to get a parade, you know, because they're not going to be safe. But they'll have a lot to celebrate, and they'll have earned it in a very different way, but there's no doubt they will have earned it. That's the context. So, so let's talk about that, what's different now. How much is going to be different in, in your guess, best guess moving forward? What, what will we take from this crazy 60-game season and these new rules moving forward? the DH obviously now across the board, the, the runner on second to start extra innings. These, there's these rules, but kind of just in the culture of baseball, do you see it having a long-term impact? Uh, yeah, it's going to have a long-term impact, impact in some ways more than others. Um, like I know that the universal DH is only a one-year agreement, and so they would have to renegotiate to have it again next year. But I, I personally think that once you start down that path, uh, it's hard to go back. I can't see a year where just for one year pitchers hit. Um, so I'm going to guess that we'll never see pitchers hit again unless something crazy happens. Okay, uh, So that that kind of saddens me. I, me too. I'm, I'm a fan of the lore of baseball. And, yep. you know, how I don't know how much time you and I could spend talking about Bartolo Colon's homework. <laughs> <laughs> what did Gary Cohen call it? The greatest moment in the history of baseball or something along those lines? Yeah, I talked to Gary about it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I like, we'll miss those moments. How many times has MLB Network replayed the Rick Camp home run at 3.30 in the morning from on the 4th of July? You know, right. like these are moments in time that people talk about, smile about, remember forever. So we're losing that. But I, I guess that's here to say. The runner on second rule, I'll be interested to see how it goes. I, I started out, you know, again, as a fan of the weird and the wacky. I, I'll miss the 17-inning game where the shortstop pitches and uh, the, you know, one of your pitchers is playing right field. I'll, yeah. I'll miss that. But I actually am really intrigued by the extra inning rule, talking to people that have managed with it and seen a lot of it. Um, I think people are going to like it. So I do think at some point that happens. Maybe it, in future years, it's not a 10th inning rule. It's something you, you impose in the 12th inning um, or whenever, but that'll be interesting. I think the biggest change in baseball going forward is the minor leagues. The minor leagues are never going to look the same as we remember them. Uh, 42 teams are going to get contracted and they, they won't be around or they'll be in an independent league or something. And some of these teams are not going to survive these to go a year without fans. And then maybe next year with limited fans, I don't know how economically they can do it without help. So the minor leagues are going to be challenged and it's going to cost a lot of people their jobs. Um, just look at the draft this year it was only, it was only five rounds. Right. So, yeah. That was a thousand kids who thought they were going to get drafted who weren't. Those are a thousand people with real lives and real families. And now they're going to want to go somewhere and play college, junior college. Um, 
and that has impact on the, the other people who thought they were going to play at that college, that junior <laughs> college, like all this stuff. These, these ripple yeah. effects keep traveling. Yeah. And then just our world, the media world, um, you know, I'm allowed into the stadium now, but there it's in the rules or no circumstances where I would be allowed to talk to anybody in person, no player, no coach, no manager, nobody in the front office, nobody. And mm. so you'd like to think that that's not going to continue forever. I don't want to be, in, I don't want to live in a world where the only way I'd ever talk to anybody is via zoom. Um, and so those of us who in our line of work, we have a, we have to fight to, to get back to what we had as members of the media, because what we do in our line of work is we build relationships and you can't build those relationships in a five minute zoom call with 40 other people. So yeah, and that's, that's fight a great that. point. And the audience will know, I mean, the readers, the, the, the listeners, the viewers, they'll, they'll know they'll, they'll, some of those quirky stories that you only get through the, the personal interactions won't be there. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, so your listeners, it, it, oh, life, go ahead. Life, I've had a whole career full of them. <laughs> and, and, and it's, uh, and they're, they're so valuable. They're, they're so important. Um, your, your, uh, your fans, your listeners, your readers at the athletic, um, thought that you would make a good baseball commissioner. <laughs> if, if that were to be to happen, what, what is the first thing you would do? Well, it's a tough, it's, it, it's not a, it's not a great job right now. <laughs> so, could, you, could you get the two sides to sit down at the table and, and, you know, you know, comes to some common ground. Yeah. I, like that, that to me is the most important challenge on, on, this commissioner's plate on any commissioner's plate right now. The game's in a very precarious point. And, you know, I don't know anybody in the game who thinks that when the next, when this labor deal expires after next season, that there's not going to be some kind of work stoppage. And that would be disastrous. Uh, and so I don't know. I don't know how these two sides build uh, a better relationship, some feeling that they're in this together. But that is the most important thing that the commissioner, I think, needs to figure out. Um, you know, like if you talk to him and the people on his side, <laughs> they would just complain about the union and say it's their fault. Yeah. You talk to the union, they would just talk about the commissioner and his people and how it's their fault. I don't care whose fault it is. You know, <laughs> we, we have to get past it um and there's a lot of fun stuff on the field we could talk about but that's job one <laughs> yeah yeah it doesn't matter if you can't get the two sides to sit down and, and come to some agreement on the future of baseball yeah, you gotta have a partnership so the game can move forward yeah that's that's so important let's let's kind of circle back to syracuse and and before as before i let you go um and you know watch some real baseball um what does it mean to you to be a part of, of all of this? What does it mean to you to be orange? Well, I live in a Syracuse household. You might say uh, there's a Syracuse basketball media guide sitting over there on the shelf with all the baseball books. And uh, I watch every Syracuse game on TV, unless I'm covering a World Series game or something. <laughs> right? I watch the scrimmages in November. I watch every game. Uh, I watch Bayheim's Army. Uh, I go to games, right? I've been to practice. Uh, I, I care about it. And it's not just me. My whole family is caught up in it. My wife didn't go to Syracuse. She's totally into it. Uh, my daughter who went to Syracuse, we have an incredible bond over that. And, uh, 
my other kids just won't, they'll watch a Syracuse game. I, they love it. Um, I, I think my, my other daughter went to American University. Uh, she has on her Twitter profile that she's a Syracuse fan. She didn't even go there. Right? So, like, so we have all that, just that Syracuse fandom in us. But we also have the this realistic knowledge that everything about my life and career is because I went to Syracuse. Um, and that's that's just true. That's true from Rooster Hall to Cooperstown to the athletic to everything I do. Um, Syracuse prepared me to go out and be a writer, work for work for great newspapers and just know the know what that entailed before I ever walked into a newsroom. Um, Syracuse prepared me for that. It helped put me in touch with the people at the Providence Journal where I got a job right out of college. Um, there's now a network of, of people, of Daily Orange students, right, who I keep in contact with and, and try to help in whatever way I can. Um, it's Syracuse is always a part of our lives uh, all the time. You know, one of the things I was most proud about, Chris, a friend of mine figured this out, uh, is that I'm the first Newhouse grad to win that Spink Award. Like, there are lots of Syracuse broadcasters who've won a thousand awards, right? Including, including the Frick Award that cost us one. But I'm the first Syracuse grad who won that Spink Award for baseball writing. And uh, how cool is that, right? When you think about everybody who ever worked at the Daily Orange, right? Everybody who ever graduated from Newhouse and went into sports media. And I'm the only person in Cooperstown who can say that. It's like the coolest thing ever. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a me, me, me guy, but there's certain aspects sometimes to winning that award that just blow me away. And that's one of them. And my, I had friends I went to Syracuse who made the journey to Cooperstown to be there for me, you know, including several from 3,000 miles away. It's amazing, right? But that's it's just my point is I'll always be a part of Syracuse, the Syracuse community, uh, the university. I've gone up to Syracuse to speak. Uh, we've had some fun-filled discussions about whether I'd ever teach. <laughs> you know, It's just a really cool part of me and of us, and I'm so proud of that. And we're proud to have Jason, his daughter Hallie, and as he describes it really, the whole Stark family as part of the Orange family. Thanks for listening to the Cuse Conversations podcast. If this is your first time finding us, take a look through the archives. There are a lot of great guests talking about a wide variety of topics. The common thread, of course, is Orange. You can find Cuse Conversations on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, basically wherever you like to listen. We're posting new episodes once or twice a week these days, so check back often, or better yet, subscribe. Our thanks again to Jason Stark for taking some time to talk with us as this unique 2020 baseball season gets underway. I'm Chris Velarde. Until our next Cuse Conversation, stay safe, stay well, and go Orange.